cyclist nearly killed on the sea to sky. He got thrown off his bike into the road. It was ugly. The unbalanced load of lumber that sent one of them to hospital. COVID infections on the rise. And a new report shows the struggle is real for Main Street businesses hit hard by the pandemic. And requiring masks in more places. There have been ongoing discussions. I know TransLink is looking at their programs. Why they could soon be mandatory on public transit. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks very much for joining us. Two cyclists have an incredible story to tell. One of them seriously injured from an unthinkable accident on the Sea to Sky Highway. The pair, riding separately, were effectively clotheslined by a loose load hanging from a pickup truck. Catherine Urquhart shows us what happened and the penalties the driver is facing. It was really, it was really ugly. Cyclist Mike Martin is still shaken by what happened Monday while riding his bike south on the Sea to Sky Highway near Britannia Beach. I was riding along and something was kind of crushing me from behind and I immediately thought I was being run over. And uh, as it turns out, it was a load of lumber that was hanging off of a, uh, of a pickup truck. Moments later, a fellow cyclist named Todd, whom he had just met and chatted with, was also struck by the load of lumber. When I look up, I obviously I now realize what's happening. There's a load of lumber and uh, I scream and it, you know, it hits, hits Todd and it basically picks him up and throws him into the road. Todd Nickel has since tweeted this photo of himself from Lionsgate Hospital, where he's being treated for a broken clavicle and scapula, along with eight broken ribs and a punctured lung. Everything was happening at speed and uh, yeah, he got thrown off his bike into the road. It was ugly. RCMP say witnesses believe a strap broke, causing the load to shift. The truck driver was ticketed for driving without consideration, which carries a $196 fine. They also face a $288 fine for the insecure load. Todd Nickel has since tweeted, I haven't heard from the driver, but I'm not surprised. I'm sure he got a traffic ticket, then carried on his way, which is infuriating. Our system has no mechanism for accountability. Don't call it an accident. This was negligence. There's the vehicle. Mike says his helmet broke and he has a few bruises. Otherwise, he's okay and knows he's incredibly fortunate to be unharmed. Thankfully, it didn't come loose and, you know, fall on top of us at the time. That could have been worse. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Four days of COVID-19 numbers for B.C. prompting new warnings about large groups and the virus spreading at parties. We have 146 new cases. That's over four days, 43 Friday to Saturday, 29 Saturday to Sunday, 46 Sunday to Monday, and 28 Monday through to this morning. The total case number is 3,787. The better news here, though, is we've had no new deaths, so that number remains at 195. Eight people are in hospital, four of them in ICU. 3,273 people are now considered fully recovered, leaving us with 319 active cases. 
thankfully, most of our cases, the vast majority of them, we are able to find out where you've been exposed. And we know that many of those are, are overlapping social circles where private parties over the period of the last few weeks have led to people passing it to their friends and their family. In the immediate days following a long weekend are when people can also unknowingly spread the virus to others. And Keith Baldry joins us now live with more on the numbers. Given what Dr. Bonnie Henry just said, we're going to have to wait to see what the impact of the B.C. Mm -hmm. day-long weekend has. Yeah, a lot of confusion about this, Chris. So the 146 cases that we uh, saw today had nothing to do with the BC day-long weekend. This goes back two weeks. That's, the, that's how long an incubation period is, 14 days. Dr. Henry says typically symptoms start to show up with people who have contracted the virus in five to seven days, sometimes a little longer. So that's when those people will get tested. So we're talking about a, at least a week before the BC, the impact of the activities on whether there were parties on BC day a weekend is going to be felt. All right, what's the uh, latest data on where we're seeing the cases? Yeah, there's been a bit of a shift. You recall the interior had that big spike because of that Kelowna community exposure event they were tracking in the 80s. Here's the current uh, status of where our active cases are around BC. Fraser Health continues to be the big number, 195 cases. Vancouver Coastal has spiked up about 20. That is because of some parties and house parties uh, occurring a couple weeks ago. The interior now, a lot of recoveries there from, from that uh, Canada Day weekend. They're down in 19. Northern Health uh, was 16. And Vancouver Island, where I am, luckily. We continue to track with very low numbers. Now, as you may have heard me on the early news, I asked a question to Dr. Bonnie Henry today about masks on transit. Her answer seems to indicate that TransLink's working on a policy that will likely see some new policy regarding uh, the requirement of wearing masks aboard SkyTrain, probably with some exceptions uh, on bus, in terms of uh, being on SkyTrain and on buses. But we're going to be expecting, hopefully, an announcement from TransLink sometime in the days ahead. Dr. Henry says they're working on a new policy. We'll just have to wait for the details. All right, we will do that. Thanks very much, Keith. Well, Alberta is making masks mandatory when school resumes in the fall, something parents there had been pushing for, although students won't have to wear the face covering once they're at their desks. You might wonder if it's something B.C. health officials are considering too. But as Richard Zussman reports, Dr. Henry says it's not necessary yet. When students go back to class in Alberta in the fall, they will need their knapsack, their pencil case, and now a mask. If students or uh, teachers are interacting in a way that's close and involves them working together, then mask wearing would be expected. Alberta announcing plans Monday to require students grade 4 to 12 to wear a non-medical mask in hallways and all indoor common areas, but not in the classroom, except in the rarest cases. If students are seated in their desks, uh, working quietly and, and not moving around, and the teacher is distanced from them, uh, then mask wearing is optional in that setting. Mask use from kindergarten to grade three is optional. Now the question is whether British Columbia will consider the same thing. No, we have no intention for making mandatory masks, and I actually don't believe there's evidence to, su to support mask wearing by children in the classroom setting. A recent Leger poll shows that 60% of Canadians support mandatory masks at schools. BC leading the way with support from 73% of parents. It would make everyone feel more comfortable too if everybody does that because it, it is that extra protection. I understand the logic behind it. So I, I think I would be comfortable as long as my child was comfortable wearing a mask. 
There's been significant pushback around the province's plan to put students in learning groups and concerns physical distancing will be impossible. One online petition has garnered more than 15,000 signatures calling on an optional return to school. A lot of parents actually had the hybrid system during March to June and felt that this, this is the system that should continue to follow and that should be an option for parents to decide. There will be an encouragement for voluntary mask wearing in BC schools, especially high school, with reusable masks available when distancing can't be kept. Richard Zuspin, Global News, Victoria. If you've tried to beat the heat heading to one of Metro Vancouver's lakes or beaches lately, chances are you've found full parking lots and closed signs at some of them. Between social distancing guidelines and the huge demand from people staycationing due to the pandemic, some popular spots are busier than ever. Nadia Stewart reports. It is one of the most popular spots in the Lower Mainland. Even before 10 in the morning, the parking lot is full and the gate is closed. A couple other beaches are closed, so I guess people are just all trying to go to one beach now. Bunsen Lake. Arrived. Both Bunsen and Sassamat Lakes, two locations seeing a surge in traffic. If the province or other facilities are unduly restricted, we end up bearing the brunt of the spillover. Coquitlam Mayor Richard Stewart says the province's new pilot project requiring day passes for visitors to specific provincial parks is having unintended consequences. Unbearable pressure on municipal parks by people anxious to get out. At Bunsen Lake, for example, Stewart says visitors arrive early but opt for the trail instead of the beach, leaving the beach empty and the parking lot full. Their space, the 50 cars or whatever that they're allowing in the parking lot, um, their, car, their space was never for the beach, and it has used up a, a family's ability to go to the, to the beach. The city of Port Moody is spending over $100,000 to manage traffic around Sassamat, a lake where bird droppings have led to rising E. coli levels. Why would you want to go there? <laughs> is my question. Especially in a year like this, I would encourage folks to zoom out on Google Maps uh, and live a little. The Ministry of Environment and Climate Change Strategy says, for the most part, the new pass system is being well received. And as this is a pilot project, they say adjustments will be made as needed. Pilot project in the middle of a pandemic? Uh, is, this, is this the best time? These two mayors say before any changes are made, there needs to be more communication. One of the ways to make it work is to make sure that we all work together so that we spread out the crowds and make sure we never get to the point where we could have uh, the spread of an, of an illness. I'd rather spread the crowds than spread the disease. Nadia Stork, Global News. Small business has long been the backbone of the Canadian economy, but the sector has been hit hard by the pandemic. Now a new report is taking a close look at how businesses in four B.C. neighbourhoods have been affected and what's still needed for their recovery. Brad McLeod reports. To be honest with you, it's a little sad to come down here. Brock Yurchuk owns two tourist shops on Victoria's Government Street. He's getting federal lease and wage subsidies, but says he can't afford to pay himself. Summer is a time meant to save money to survive the slow season. But business is down 93% this month. I was programmed, work hard, 
and, and things will work out well. And in this environment, it doesn't feel like hard work's going to cut it. Their revenues, many of them, drop by over 90%. So it's huge, right? So between tourism and then also office workers and government workers who are now working from home. Findings of a new report on how a handful of Main Street businesses are faring across B.C. Van City Credit Union and the Canadian Urban Institute also looked at a relative success story. Newton boasts 76% independently run businesses. The unique merchants and feel have remained an attraction. Tranquil Road in Kamloops, a lower income area faced with issues of homelessness. It was found many of the restaurants didn't pivot to online delivery, saying the fees were too high. Also, many businesses here not taking advantage of federal stimulus. Some of the more racialized groups where uh, some of the language barriers. And Strathcona in East Van. They've got a lot of co-working spaces, professional services, and most of those individuals are working from home, so they've lost that foot traffic. Some of the takeaways from the block report. Animating struggling streets with patios and filling vacant storefronts can draw people back. The more you can cater to locals, the better. And for some, federal assistance needs to be easier to access. Memories. Brock Yerchuk feels a pivot to online sales would just end up losing him more money. And says, for the first time in over 20 years in business, staying open is up in the air. If you've got a, a nickel, we can heads or tails. Brian McLeod, Global News, Victoria. A new national security law passed by the Chinese government sends a chill around the world. What the communist regime has written into its Article 38 and why even Canadian citizens are afraid in just over a minute. An apocalyptic scene in Beirut after a devastating explosion near the waterfront. The blast that caused it coming up on the news hour. And a bunch of swimmers and boarders had an amazing encounter with a whale and her calf. Until she obviously had had enough of the attention. That's coming up later. Right now, though, there is growing concern among people in B.C. and across the country about China's new national security law over Hong Kong. Article 38 criminalizes any dissent or criticism of the Chinese regime, no matter where you live. Grace Key has more. Under China's new security law, all these protesters who took to the streets of Vancouver in July in opposition of Article 38 could be prosecuted back in China or Hong Kong regardless of their nationality, leaving many not wanting to return. Many of the students from Hong Kong or even from China, they attend the protest against the Chinese government. Uh, their faces may be taken. So those students or uh, visitors, I think we should accept them to the state in Canada if they feel threatened. For the first time, the law has been used against six pro-democracy activists living in the UK and US. Canada has suspended its extradition treaty with Hong Kong. Other countries are following suit. But Article 38 is still succeeding in silencing some people. But I would think the most affects are those people who have relatives in Hong Kong and in China. And all those who want to do business with Hong Kong and China, they will be silenced. Will I travel back to Hong Kong? The answer is no. Jenny Kwong, MP for Vancouver East, was born in the former British colony. She says time is of the essence to support the people of Hong Kong. 
I think the Canadian government needs to bring in a special immigration measure, both for family reunification, for both student and work visas, as well as um, asylum seekers. The Canadian government needs to be actively working with our ally countries to come up with measures to deal with this situation. This is spreading all across the globe. Everybody's trying to figure out what to do. Let's do it together. Some 300,000 Canadians live in Hong Kong. Approximately 50 Hong Kongers are seeking asylum here. Grace Key, Global News. Transit police, with some help from grade 12 students at Sir Winston Churchill Secondary School, have launched a new safety campaign. Artwork on board buses, SkyTrain and the C-Bus carries a straightforward message. If you experience or witness harassment or sexual offenses on transit or at a station, report it. Transit riders can discreetly text transit police in real time at 877 when an incident is occurring. It is a problem on public transit and we need to raise awareness to let uh, members of the public know that um, we will investigate every uh, incident of sexual uh, offenses on public transit. In 2019, 212 sexual offenses were reported to and investigated by Metro Vancouver Transit Police. Up ahead, a very close call for a group of houseboaters. Their vacation on Merrill Lake ended when they were rescued by locals. Next. Plus, he's 63 and didn't think he'd be living in a tree. The protest, he says, is worth it. Final clearing stages here of a multi-vehicle accident northbound on Highway 99 just before the Massey Tunnel. The left lane is able to get by, but the damage is done. Traffic is slow from the Delta Workshard on the approach. Is your hearing important? Connect Hearing is Canada's number one physician-referred hearing health care provider. Visit connecthearing.ca for a free hearing test. Take care of your hearing. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, type of Highway 99 and the Massey Tunnel. Some terrifying moments in the Shushwap when a houseboat caught fire early this morning. It happened just before 2 a.m. on Mara Lake. On board was a group of 21 people from Saskatchewan, including several children and a baby. Luckily, the boat was moored just a few meters offshore and everyone managed to escape the flames unhurt. The occupants of the boat were taken care of by nearby cabin owners before being taken to a hotel in Sycamus. The fire is being described as accidental. Favorable weather conditions are helping some fire crews around the province, including those battling the Dry Lake Fire, where an evacuation alert remains in place. Global Shelby Tom is near Princeton tonight. Shelby, crews are making good progress. That's right, Sophie. Crews have been battling the Dry Lake wildfire hard since it was first discovered on Sunday, burning on this remote mountainside behind me, about 20 kilometers northwest of Princeton. Now, you can only see a little bit of smoke from our vantage point off of Highway 5A today, but you can see the proximity of the fire in relation to the homes along the valley bottom. The aerial firefight continues today. You can hear helicopters and water skimmers overhead as they support ground crews with heavy equipment working to contain this fire and prevent it from threatening these area properties. At the top, on the map, we're at the top. So, you know, if the wind changes, who knows what can happen. This family from Delta camping with friends at the Allison Lake Provincial Campground were put on notice by Princeton Search and Rescue Monday night, along with dozens of others, warning they must be prepared to evacuate the area if wildfire conditions deteriorate. If the wind changes, who knows what can happen. So, got to be ready to go. 
we, we kind of came up with a game plan. We'll throw this here, do this there. And I mean, we're, we're here with the family. So there's eight of us and yeah, we can act fast. The regional district of Okanagan Similkameen issuing an evacuation alert for 43 properties, mostly recreational homes, cabins and campsites stretching along Highway 5A from Allison Lake Provincial Park to McCaffrey Lake. The fire got to about 22 hectares and we know that things can change very quickly and winds were anticipated to pick up a little bit last night so we wanted to make sure that folks were prepared to leave at a moment's notice. The BC Wildfire Service says favorable weather conditions and fire suppression tactics are helping with containment efforts, but warns of the unpredictable nature of fires. We still need to completely guard off the fire. We still need to make sure that those hotspots are completely cooled down. So if, um, you know, the general public could be mindful of fire activity. Okay, Sophia. Cattle ranchers Nancy and Larry Eaton say the fire is getting too close for comfort. The fire is actually starting to creep down, whereas uh, the last couple of days it seemed to be going the other way and they had a handle on it. But uh, today, with it, with it coming over the ridge, we're a little more concerned. Kazakovich is optimistic the wildfire won't pose further danger to people and property as fire crews make good progress on getting the blaze under control. It is a relief. Meanwhile, campers hope the wildfire won't thwart their vacation plans during our COVID summer. Well, just hopefully the fire doesn't head this way and we don't have to leave. We're planning to be here till Friday, so hopefully we can make it until then. Hot and dry weather is expected over the next few days, but a reprieve could be coming on Thursday with rain and cooler temperatures in the forecast. Sophie? All right, thanks, Shelby. The BC Wildfire Service is also fighting a new wildfire in the Shuswap. The Marble Point fire broke out late yesterday evening and quickly grew to two hectares. So here's a little perspective for everybody. The fire is burning above Shuswap Lake, about eight and a half kilometers north of Sycamus, 25 wildland firefighters are battling it from the ground. They got some crucial help from the aerial crews as well, which prompted fire officials to issue an important reminder to boaters in the area. Earlier today, the BC Wildfire Service did have skimmers um, taking water from one of the nearby lakes close to the Marble Point wildfire uh, in order to uh, do our suppression activities. Uh, the BC Wildfire Service did make a post on Facebook uh, advising the public to please stay out of that area, supported by the RCMP. There's speculation that fireworks might have sparked that fire, but the BC Wildfire Service says the cause is still under investigation. It started as a frustrating call-out for the volunteers of the Sassamat Fire Department. Then one of the firefighters became the victim of an expensive theft. On Sunday night, the firefighters responded to a smoking dumpster in Belcara Park. It turns out someone had ignored the many posted signs and dumped barbecue coals into the dumpster, igniting a small fire. The fire crew quickly put out the flames, but when they returned to the fire hall, one firefighter discovered thieves had cut away the catalytic converter from her personal vehicle. Metro Parks has done a great job with their signage and their uh, briquette receptacles throughout the park. There's large red containers that are clearly indicated that that's where you put your briquettes. So it's super frustrating when people throw just throw them in the garbage. It makes me angry, actually. And, yeah. uh, you know, I, I'm realizing that the people who actually do this probably don't really care who they're targeting. They, they're out for quick money and they don't really care about it. And that's kind of upsetting for me as well, too. 
With nearly every legal challenge exhausted, the courts have repeatedly supported the continuing construction of the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion. But that's not stopping protesters from going to new heights to stall the project. Ted Trenecki tells us why one B.C. scientist is willing to risk arrest. Longtime activist Tim Takaro says he didn't think he'd be living in a treetop at age 63. But the SFU prof, who is on sabbatical, believes the risk of being arrested is more than worth it. But they'll have to reach him first. He's here to say Ottawa is missing an enormous opportunity by not learning from the pandemic, that Canadians can be motivated in ways we may never have thought possible. Ottawa, he believes, is making a huge mistake building the second pipeline. They could say, OK, we've spent... 4.5 billion, but we're not going to spend another 12 to 14 billion because it's the wrong thing. We're going to put that money towards training workers to build solar power, wind power, make a just transition for those oil and gas workers, which we know are not the future. They chose to make a stand here because several trees are scheduled to be cut down to make way for the new Trans Mountain Pipe. If we can hold them up and stop them for the next six weeks and prevent them from clearing this area, ultimately we'll stop them for another year of production. After months of quiet, the protests are starting to heat up. There's a march planned for tomorrow, and other protesters say they'll set up an encampment. Today's treetop protest comes as Canadian press is reporting that Ottawa has signed a deal with Alberta to reduce environmental monitoring in the oil sands by at least 25 percent. Oh, we can we can still build the pipeline or we can still extract bitumen. We just can't monitor the environment. That shows the motivation of these governments. They don't care about the planet. They care about profits. He's stocked with food and water and says he has many others who are willing to relieve him. Ted Chernocky, Global News. Up ahead, the fallout from a stunning new interview with Donald Trump. They are dying. That's true. And you ha it is what it is. Why that remark describing the COVID death toll in the U.S. is drawing fire. And startling video of the blast wave in Beirut and new questions about why this explosion happened in the first place. Busy lineups here at Tawasin Ferry Terminal this evening. The 7 p.m. sailing to Swartz Bay is at 90% capacity. The 710 sailing to Southern Gulf Islands is 95% full. And the 815 boat to Duke Point is at 80% capacity. Sussex Insurance are your auto plan experts for insurance renewals, changes, or other ICBC transactions all from home. Just visit sussexinsurance.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above Tawasin Ferry Terminal. Two major explosions rocking Lebanon's capital, Beirut, today killing dozens, injuring thousands, and causing widespread damage. Cars flipped and mangled, windows shattered kilometers away, and the number of dead and injured is still being counted. Lebanese officials say a massive blast that destroyed the port area and beyond was caused by highly explosive raw materials stored there. And a warning to viewers, some of the images in this report could be upsetting. Extraordinary images tonight of deadly explosions felt by millions in Lebanon. Blasts that shook a city and injured thousands. 
This was the first, coming just after six in the evening at Beirut's main port, sending up a plume of thick smoke. Beneath it, fires raging and flashes of light filmed by nearby residents. None of them could have guessed what would happen next. A second massive explosion that some described as like an earthquake. A mushroom cloud of debris and seawater blasted into the air. The detonation was heard 200 miles away in at least two other countries. I saw something flash and I couldn't hear anymore. It was raining glass all over the city of Beirut. On the ground, dozens lay dead. Lebanon's health minister says almost 3,000 people have been injured the port area destroyed. But what caused it? Officials tonight say a warehouse has for years been filled with dangerous explosive chemicals. Warnings about the dangers, they say, ignored. Beirut, so often a battleground in war, resembling a war zone tonight. This is a national disaster for Lebanon. Tomorrow a day of national mourning and of many questions. If this was a warehouse for dangerous chemicals, were the explosions accidental or sabotage? And as the death toll rises, the Lebanese community here in B.C. is watching the devastation closely. The honorary consul of Lebanon in B.C. says he's been very upset to hear of the blast and what it means for the Lebanese people. It's the summer, the immigrants, the diaspora, the people go back to Lebanon. We were hoping they will come with fresh dollars, spend some money, improve the local economy. And now with this problem adding to another problem, many people will be without houses, without job. Well, July proved to be another record-setting month as the deadly overdose crisis just keeps accelerating. B.C. paramedics responded to a record 2,706 overdose calls during the month. That works out to 87 calls each day. While BC EHS says every community is being touched by the crisis, two-thirds of the victims are male, with the highest numbers between the ages of 21 and 40 years old. Already this year, May and then June set new records as the deadliest ever months recorded, with 175 British Columbians dying of an overdose in June. The message from paramedics, if you're going to use drugs, don't do it alone. And the province is boosting funding for overdose prevention. The B.C. government will add $10.5 million to fight an increasingly toxic illicit drug supply. 17 new supervised consumption services and 12 inhalation services will be opened. 42 new full-time nurses, social workers and peer support workers will also be added to 14 outreach teams to help connect people to treatment and recovery supports. Coming up next, a mystery many people are getting in the mail. I didn't know where it came from specifically, and I thought it was very suspicious. The unlabeled seed package showing up unsolicited, and what you should do if you get one. And in sports, what's pretty close to a must-win moment for the Vancouver Canucks tonight.
You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Mysterious packages appearing in people's mailboxes are causing the Canadian Food Inspection Agency to issue a warning. Unsolicited packages of seeds are appearing all across the country. And as Sarah McDonald tells us, they could be a threat to our food supply. There's something seedy cropping up in mailboxes across North America. There's like little grass seeds in there. And nobody seems to know exactly what's behind the unrelenting, unsolicited deliveries, landing on the doorsteps of thousands of unsuspecting people, like Natalie Dempsey of Alberta. I didn't know where it came from specifically, and I thought it was very suspicious, very odd. It's odd and highly suspect to officials on both sides of the border, too, with almost every province and most states reporting residents receiving packages containing mystery seeds. The small packets may look harmless, but experts warn this could be a scam or invasive species. We're not at the point that we can confirm anything yet. Uh, of course, we are concerned. The Canadian Food Inspection Agency is urging citizens who receive unauthorized shipments like this to report it to their regional office. And while federal officials won't elaborate on the suspected origin of the packets, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration says most south of the border appear to be coming from China. If you find yourself on the receiving end of suspicious seeds, don't handle them. Don't dispose of or compost them. And most importantly, don't plant them. They're a high-risk species for us because we don't know what they're there. And we, from what we've seen, there are actually quite a variety of seeds that have come in. As scientists work to dig up not only what the seeds consist of, but any substance they could be coated with, officials are investigating the intent of the senders. This is the package. It says it has jewelry. Who often deceive customs officials and recipients through mislabeling potentially malicious deliveries as everyday items. To have these mystery seeds being sent out, who knows? A little bizarre. With the seeds that should never sprout, already planting lingering questions. Sarah McDonald, Global News, Vancouver. A stark example of why it's important to give whales or any wildlife some space. We'll show you what happened when this tour group got a little too close to a humpback and her calf off the coast of Australia. That's coming up right after Christie's forecast. All right, let's check in with meteorologist Christy Gordon for a look at that forecast. What a beautiful long weekend it was, Christy. A little change on the way, though. Mm -hmm. Yes, not for too long. It'll be a small blip in our forecast this week, but certainly if you're trying to make plans for your week, maybe plan some indoor activities for your Thursday, everyone. In the meantime, we have one more sunny day on the way. Here's a quick look, though, at the fog we saw this morning near White Rock Beach. Few areas near the water will likely see that fog again tomorrow, but it won't last long, and you should be back to sunshine by the afternoon with beautiful conditions. Thanks to Bob for that shot looking out towards Vancouver. Now, we are going to see a big drop, so the change on Thursday not only is going to bring cloud cover and rain, but a big drop in temperature. It's going to feel chilly. So Metro Vancouver, similar to today, 25 degrees tomorrow, but then dropping a good four to five degrees on Thursday with highs around 20, 21 degrees. And look at the drop that interior regions will see from mid thirties again tomorrow to mid twenties on Thursday. And you'll feel that chill. That's for sure. 
So this is the system that's driving down the coast. Tomorrow, not affecting Metro Vancouver, the interior regions, but it will slide in come Thursday, and that's when you can expect that drop in temperature, the cloud and showers, and also a risk of thunderstorms in the interior on Thursday into Friday as well. But this is your Wednesday forecast, everyone. Hot and sunny again, so lots to enjoy tomorrow, that's for sure. Before those temperatures drop a little bit on Thursday, here's your five-day forecast for Metro Vancouver. So it's just Thursday, although I've put in a slight chance of showers in the morning on Friday. For the most part, Friday will be our transition day back to sunshine by the afternoon and the weekend certainly looking nice. And look at this stunning shot, our central windows weather window looking out towards Mount Robson. Chris sending us this one. And in case you didn't know, the peak of Mount Robson is actually the highest point on the Rocky Mountains, on the Rocky uh, Range. Beautiful. Thank you, Christy. What a shot. All right, two people have been seriously injured after getting too close to a humpback whale and her calf. The two swimmers were part of a tour group to swim with the humpbacks. This video shows the moment the 50-foot mother whale swings her tail toward the group off the northwest Australian coast. A 29-year-old woman was struck and sustained fractured ribs and internal bleeding. She was airlifted to hospital. Another is said to have a torn hamstring. The government says it is now working closely with the industry and the tour operator involved to understand how this incident happened. That ended Wanted badly. Wanted to swim alone. Yeah, that's right. Like, I have a guess because you got too close to the calf. Yeah. I agree. Mothers, mother, protective. mother bears, mother whales can be exactly. very, very protective. I don't know. Do you want to swim with a whale? No, that's okay. I'm Fine. sure they'll be quite happy swimming alone. Uh, it was another summer six-pack of hockey. He fires right on rebound. Scores. Lucic has got it now. Avalan Lucic gets a goal. Calgary beat uh, Winnipeg. We're waiting for the Canucks to play in that same ice service in about an hour. And U.S. President Donald Trump agrees to an interview for an HBO special. Why he might regret it later. The pandemic playoffs. Have we called it that yet? <laughs> oh, to hear the call pep it talk that, tonight. Yeah, that's not bad. Yeah. Hockey in August. Summer hockey, bubble hockey, whatever you like. The uh, last time we saw a best of five series in the NHL was the first round of 86. But there were enough to have stats for these type of series. Like any team that goes down 2 nothing in a best of five has about a 2% chance of coming back. So needless to say... The Canucks need to win game two tonight against Minnesota. And of course, to do that, they're going to have to score goals. More than one, likely. But one would help. Um, haven't heard of any lineup changes yet, but perhaps Travis Green might think of reuniting the lotto line, put Besser up with Miller and Pedersen drop to Foley back to line two with uh, Pearson and Horvat. Besser definitely needs some luck. He has now gone 13 straight games without scoring. Okay. Jets and Flames, this series tied 1-1. Look at this pass from Dmitry Kulikov to that man, Nick Ehlers. Long bomb, and Ehlers finishes it. But as we know, Winnipeg is still playing without its two superstars, Shifley and Line, and they're also confused behind their own net. Michael Backlund makes it 2-1. The guy everyone loves to hate in Winnipeg and some other cities as well, Matthew Kachuk, scores here. 
four to two. And if it's not Kachuk scoring, it's Milan Lucic as well. He jams it on the power play. Six to the final. Calgary's a two-one lead in that series. Maple Leafs trying to equal their series with Columbus. And like Vancouver, they didn't score in game one. And a Jonas Korpiskalo. Korpiskalo making more great saves, but finally they broke through. Austin Matthews tipping in the Zach Hyman pass. And then John Tavares having a better game too. Wide open, breakaway scoring. The nasty part of this game for Toronto was this play here, and it doesn't look like much. Jake Muzzin gets knocked down, then he runs into Oliver Bjorkstrand, and somehow that causes enough issues that he has to leave on a stretcher, but apparently he has the use of all his limbs. He's in a hospital. Okay. Earlier in Teal, Florida and the Islanders. Jordan Everly had two goals. Now you saw Jake Muzzin get hurt in what looked like a pretty benign play. Here, Matthew Barzell doesn't get hurt. And I don't know how he doesn't get hurt. He basically folds himself like a pretzel against the boards. Awkwardly after getting that great quality chance. But they grow him tough in Burnaby. He's up and he's good, and they're up 2-0 in the series. Uh, Darcy Kemper and the uh, Coyotes, a one-game, one against the Predators. Former Canuck Nick Bonino shoots and scores. 1-0. Port Moody's Ryan Johansson, who hasn't been the great goal scorer they thought he would be in Nashville, but gets one here. That made it 2 to nothing. Watch the slap shot from Victor Arvidsson. Just leans into it. Kaboom. Nashville equals the series. Well, all the other sports seem to be going right now, and the NFL is getting ready to start. The CFL players are waiting to see if they'll get a shortened season as well. Lions receiver Lamar Durant has been working out steadily, but it could be for nothing because he's not sure they're going to have a season. Uh, realistically, not. it's not looking too good. Like, I was hopeful too, and I was just like... Uh, just staying optimistic about things, but at this point, I don't, I don't really see that much light at the end of the tunnel. So, uh, I still would like for them to come up with something and it'd be good. But at this point, I'm leaning towards or just accepting the fact that most likely I'm not going to be playing this season. Are we running out of time? Yes, definitely. And I think I feel like we're already too late in this. But, um, I mean, I feel like something has to get figured out quick. There's so many steps that have to happen for people coming in and everything like that. So I feel like every day is already a day too late. So uh, I just, I'm hoping that we get something in here and uh, we get some news quick. But for now, I just stay working out and doing my part. If they want to start in September, they have to get this thing figured out mm -hmm. rapidly. So there you go. they do. All right. Thanks, Squire. Let's check in with Ann Drew now for a look ahead to Global News at 11. Ann? Thanks, Sophie. A Surrey baby in need of an expensive drug treatment for a rare condition is getting help from a Bollywood star. We introduced you to baby Aryan less than three weeks ago. His parents were hoping to raise $2.8 million within one year to pay for a promising treatment that is not covered in Canada. We'll speak with the family about the fundraising efforts and what's next for their son. That story tonight when you join us at 11. Chris, Sophie. All right, thanks for that, Anne. When we come back, that bombshell interview with U.S. President Donald Trump. That's next. 
There's a lot of buzz tonight about an interview with U.S. President Donald Trump for the HBO News program Axios. As you'll see, he's challenged on his administration's response to the COVID pandemic and the high death toll in the U.S. compared to other countries. Trump's comment that it is what it is is creating quite a stir. President Trump says his administration has done an incredible job handling the coronavirus pandemic and that the rising death toll is what it is. During a wide-ranging interview with Axios reporter Jonathan Swan. I think it's under control. I'll tell you what. How? A thousand Americans are dying a day. They are dying. That's true. And you ha it is what it is. But that doesn't mean we aren't doing everything we can. It's under control as much as you can control it. This is a horrible plague that beset us. The president sorting through pages of charts when pressed on the country's coronavirus death count. Right here, the United States is lowest in numerous categories. Uh, we're lower than the world. Lower than we're the lower world? than what is that? Europe. In what? In what? Take a look. Right here. Here's case death. Oh, you're doing death as a proportion of cases. I'm talking about death as a proportion of population. That's where the U.S. is really bad. Well, well, Much worse than South Korea, Germany, etc. You can't, you can't do that. You have Why to can't go, I do you that? Have During the interview, the president was noncommittal when asked about the late civil rights icon, Congressman John Lewis. How do you think history will remember John Lewis? I don't know. I really don't know. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know John Lewis. Uh, he chose not to come to my uh, uh, inauguration. Uh, he chose, uh, I, I don't, uh, I never met John Lewis, actually, I don't believe. Do you find him impressive? Uh, I can't say one way or the other. And with a focus on the election, President Trump continued his unfounded attacks on voting by mail. There is no way you can go through a mail-in vote without massive cheating. Extensive research shows election fraud in the U.S. is extremely rare. Today, the president, in a reversal, encouraged voters in Florida to vote by mail, saying the state's election system is safe and secure, as Republican leaders worry his attacks on mail-in voting could suppress the GOP vote. And as for the coronavirus relief bill, both sides now say they hope to vote by next week. Pretty amazing stuff. Uh, what am I oh, yeah, what? What am I hearing? It's. It's the beautiful outdoor sounds near the ocean. Ah, uh, got it. <laughs> it's like holding a sea. It's like holding a seashell up to our ear tonight. And we hear Christy through yeah. it. <laughs> Hello. Final word, Christy. Yes. You. Uh, you need to get outside tomorrow. That's for sure, because Thursday is going to be cooler and wetter. All right. Thanks a lot. Thanks for watching, everyone. Good night, all.